What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, everyone? On the show today, we have one of the planet's leading search engine marketers. We're joined by Mike King. He's the founder and CEO of iPollRank, an award-winning SEO agency. In 2020, he was named Search Marketer of the Year by Search Engine Land, and he's been a global associate for Moz for more than 10 years. He's been on the cutting edge of technical SEO his entire career, and he's currently working on an upcoming book, The Science of SEO, Decoding Search Engine Algorithms. He's a confident introvert and a proud Philly native, but these days he pulls rank in a cabana in South Beach wearing Nike Air Max Ones and listening to Snow Allegra. Mike's also a dad, a freestyle rapper, and a highly engaging keynote speaker. Mike, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. It's funny you say the planets, um, one of the planets, you know, good SEOs. I've actually been thinking a lot about what interplanetary SEO will look like once we have an <laughs> interplanetary internet. And <laughs> I have, I have a lot of ideas about this, actually. And, you know, I imagine that Google would be localized per planet. And so your SEO would also have to be localized by planet. But anyway, um, just kind of triggered that idea that I've been thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cutting edge right, right ahead of the time. See you SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got a ton of ground we want to cover in this interview, and I have to admit, as an SEO myself, it's an awesome opportunity for for me to to chat with you and, and gain some of your insights. Something that we get asked a lot in the show uh, is around, you know, the career path. I know you started off in Microsoft '96. Uh, Since then, you've gone on to many different SEO roles. Uh, eventually, you founded iPoll Rank, an award winning agency. So I'm curious, what prompted you to start? Yeah, um, the the role in 96, that was actually a high school internship. I don't want anyone to think I'm older than I am. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was just after working at a bunch of other agencies, I was like, I think I could do this better than the folks that are doing it. And, you know, I witnessed a lot of things that were just wrong from my perspective. And um you know, this is also after a number of years of thought leadership and a lot of people asking me like, hey, when are you going to do your own thing? And once I finally, you know, decided to make that plunge, uh, a lot of people just started like knocking on the door like, hey, I've been, been waiting for this. You know, I didn't want to work with the people you worked for before, but I did want to work with you. So I don't want to say it was easy, but, you know, it, it definitely laid a foundation for it um, by doing all the thought leadership for so long. You, you kind of mentioned something interesting, right? Doing it better than what you'd seen before. What is what is the kind of value proposition that you feel like iPoll Rank brings? And what is the joy that you bring to the market uh, and the specialization that makes makes you guys unique? Yeah, I think the, the three things that we do either better or differently or other people don't do as much. Uh, one is just the audience focus on search. Uh, most people just think like, okay, keywords, keywords, keywords. But we're more like, who are the audience segments you're trying to reach? And then we align that with keywords. So it's a more strategic discussion and it mm -hmm. tends to resonate with CMOs. We're, we're far better at getting buy-in across organizations. Um, another thing is that we do what we call content engineering, like really doing something with the whole semantic SEO thing. A lot of people talk about entities and you know uh, proof terms and things like that, but not that many folks know what to do with that information. Mm -hmm. And so 
we leverage all the machine learning work that goes behind that so we can understand the statistical expectations of search engines and then work that into the content. So, you know, a lot of our content tends to just perform better out the gate because it's, it's just better optimized. And then the third thing is that we're a productized service. Most agencies are just, you know, times and materials companies, meaning that they charge you for hours, mm -hmm. which is so disassociated from outcomes. And so instead we're like, all right, well, here are the series of deliverables that we need to create in order to get you to these results. And so the focus is more on that rather than like, well, you spent 10 hours on us this month. That's all we have allocated. You need to yeah. stop working. Um, so it tends to be more about results than, you know, activity for us. Super cool. Let, let's talk about like the, the people side of uh, your, your agency that you've built. Like it uh, must be wild, like thinking back like eight years ago, you've built this, uh, this agency. Now you're running like 15 plus full-time employees. You said in the past that like you love your team, but not in the, we're a family kind of way, mm -hmm. but rather in the, I respect these people and I want us all to win together kind of way. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about like the kind of agency you've built internally and like how you run that day to day. Yeah, so we have a value set, which is an acronym, which is PROUD, which stands for Proactive, Reliable, Outstanding, Useful, and Dedicated. And that's how we all orient ourselves around what we're doing. Um, I think it's more that we have, you know, just a common culture or ethos more than like we're a family because, you know, your family is a very different thing. And I actually don't like that concept being used. It's so like ubiquitous in startup world because it's kind of like a, a way of framing it where you, you're going to do anything for this company just like you do for your family. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's not fair to anybody, right? Like I think at the end of the day, we turn our computers off, we go home to our actual family. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, those other eight hours in our day that we, we have, you know, we're all just like coming together against a series of common goals because we all want to achieve a thing. And so I think that our uh, value set of proud is like a, a much better way of encapsulating that than just being like, hey, we're a family because, you know, I'm not giving anybody my kidneys, <laughs> but I would for my family. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, I definitely like to disambiguate between those two concepts. Love that. Love that. Love that philosophy for sure. Uh, JT, you've had the chance of working with with Mike in the past, right? Like early Clipfolio days, you guys worked together. Yeah, yeah. Mike came uh, came to Ottawa and uh, yeah. delivered an SEO audit. I think he stayed <laughs> nice. up in Ottawa for two days. We took you to a restaurant, and yeah, yeah, we had a great audit. A great time. I I really enjoyed that project because um, we got to do something like super comprehensive. Uh, and first of all, we loved the platform to begin with. You know, we were already Clipfolio users, so it was really cool to be able to you know have some impact on a product that we actually used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing, uh, you know, from my time working with you back then, like two things stood out to me. Uh, one was like, you, you came on site and I was like, oh man, my King's coming. And I'd been reading your blog posts and thought leadership for so long. And I was like, you came in and you treated us all like, you know, regular human beings and seemed to dare to, to genuinely help us. Um, but in reflection as well, I've spent some time as an SEO consultant and, you know, marketing operations consultant. I've gotten to see what other agencies produce in terms of SEO audits. And I think back to the audit that you guys presented, like it was, it was huge. It was, it was like 150 slides. Um, it was in depth. It was comprehensive, but above all, it was super actionable and personalized to what we do. So I want to ask a little bit about SEO audits. It's kind of like, you know, the, the entry point for a lot of folks to work. What should, you know, and, and I think you've seen it too, where you get this audit from an agency where it's a, a logo slapped on 
uh, SEM rush or HREFs <laughs> audit. And it's like, there you go, go to town. And it does nobody, nothing for nobody. Um, what do you think all SEOs listening to this podcast should think about when they start a client audit? And what's the secret sauce do you think to a great SEO audit? Yeah, I think like you said, it needs to be actionable and it needs to present optimal recommendations. You know, I, I've seen like you, just like you, I've seen many audits across my time. And a lot of people do exactly what you said. Like they just grab from a tool and they're like, all right, here's your audit uh, with no context. Or they're like filling their, their audits up with links to other people's blog posts or like copy and pasting Google documentation. Like anyone can Google that stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't need your SEO agency for that. And so for us, the way that we structure it is everything has you know, an overview slide to give you context as to like what this is, why it's important. Because if I go to somebody and I say, hey, fix your raw canonical tags, and they don't know what that is or what that does or what sort of impact it's going to have. It's like, cool, I'm not going <laughs> to spend the time to find out what this is. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we do that first. Then we give you the issues with screenshots, code snippets and instructions for how you rep you can replicate what we saw. And then we give you the recommendations uh, with screenshots, code snippets, and instructions of what to do. And then everything is prioritized on three different scales for benefit, ease, and readiness so that you can have the ability to say, okay, here's what's important. Here's what's less important based on those different measures. Now, since we work with you, we actually have taken it a step further in that all the recommendations that we put together we write user stories for them. Mm -hmm. And so that way, because, you know, what, the way we used to do it and the way that other people do it, which is kind of less than what I just described, a product manager still has to come in and like decompose that into something that engineering teams can do something with. And yeah. so, you know, we understood that as being a big delay in getting things done. So we're like, cool, why don't we just do that for them? And so we write our recommendations out in that format that they can basically just be copy and pasted directly into Jira and then mm -hmm. developers can just pick it up and go with it. So um, the, the main thing I want to just, you know, kind of highlight here is that it does have to speak to the various people in the organizations that need to touch this. And I've always imagined it like, you know, a CEO is in a limo somewhere and he's like, you know, before I leave for my trip on my private jet, I need a printout of what Apple Rank is doing. <laughs> and so I, I imagine it in a way where it's like, okay, he knows nothing about SEO or she knows nothing about SEO. And um, he wants to see what we're up to. So we want to make sure that everything is impressive for anyone who might pick it up and they can also follow what we're recommending that they do. And it's actually been very successful for us because like you said, you know, most of the other audits that people get are just not to this level. And so when they see ours, they're like, oh, this is different. These guys really get it. So that's what I'm going for. I think it's really interesting talking about that user story component, a bit of a segue to the next question I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, like one of the disconnects that I've had a lot of my own careers in SEO is you bring something to engineering and say, you know, go forth and fix. And then it <laughs> immediately ends up on the bottom of their queue forever. It, what kind of prompted you guys to make that switch in terms of writing these user stories? Yeah. So we had an experience where we worked with a big uh, e-commerce marketplace sites, like one of the biggest ones there is. And they, uh, their, their entire SEO team had left and we were acting as though we were their hmm. SEO team. So we were going over there, I think two, three times a week to like be on site and work on things. And so we got to see it from the inside. It's like, hmm. if I just do this deck, 
no one's going to move on it. Right. And so um, we started writing the user stories and we started writing the epics and all this. And we were like, cool, let's just add this to our process moving forward because, you know, this is a clear thing that people need. And even if we just do it to a degree where we're giving uh, a head start to the product manager, because there's always going to be nuances that they understand working there on the site every day that we don't, um, either way, it's still going to help move things along. And so we've done that, I guess, for the last three or four years now. And it's, it's been like a huge uptick in our ability to get things actually pushed through. Yeah, interesting. I know, Mike, I believe you have a background in development as well. Is that correct? That's true. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I've been learning to code a little bit on the side here and there. The podcast listeners are familiar with me and my, my stories there. But, you know, I found it fun to learn it. And awesome to speak at eye level a little bit more with devs when they're talking about, you know, we're going to use this new framework or whatever. What's the benefit of that? Do you think it's an important skill for modern marketers and SEOs to think of? Like SEO is such a broad discipline. You could be a great content writer and still be huge in, in SEO. Like, do you think technical skill sets for somebody who's starting out is, is super important? Um, I have a bias towards it. But I also understand that you don't necessarily need to learn how to code to be a great marketer. Uh, it's just that it really helps you frame your ideas better if you know how to build things, right? Like we know where the edges are or when you're in a meeting with engineering and they're like, you can't do this. And it's like, actually, I can. I wrote it. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. You know, it's just like a much easier discussion because there's just the history of, of engineers being very condescending to marketers or not wanting to put more stuff on their plate. And that's just the reality, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you're able to come to the table with more knowledge or at least to a point where you're like researching things and you can have more in-depth conversations, I find that engineers respect you more and they are also more forthcoming about what can and cannot be done. And so you just end up doing better work mm -hmm. when you have that skill set as well. But I don't think it's a requirement, you know, that as long as you can find a great product manager or, or you can find someone else on the team that has some exposure to development, you're able to create that same sort of environment with the engineering team. Um, but for me, it's something that I've just continued to stay on top of just because I know the value mm -hmm. uh, in work. Yeah, I, I don't know how to code myself, but I think like uh, one way that I've bridged the gap with with devs and, and previous lives is kind of like testing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I know that's that's a big theme in your approach to SEO is testing rather than relying on the data that's provided by tools, especially like Google tools. Everyone on on like our audience is familiar with A-B testing, things like landing pages and subject lines. But I'd be really curious to hear your take on like what does testing in the SEO context look like? Can you give our listeners kind of a primer there? Yeah, absolutely. So in the SEO environment, there's also A-B testing, but it's on a page template level, right? So it's not the same as like CRO A-B testing where you can say, send 50% of my traffic here and send 50% here. Um, <clears throat> in the case of SEL split testing, what you have to do is, is take a representative sample of pages of a given template and then, you know, uh, basically make public a variant of that page for that subset of pages and then let that run for X amount of time and then compare that to what the control is doing as well. So it's fundamentally the same idea. It's just that your cohorts are pages rather than um, percentage of traffic. And 
This is something that is like a must do for large websites, especially in e-commerce where you have a lot of pages of a given type. Um, but you know, one of the things that people do the most is the testing of metadata because that is so volatile and you know, it, it, is, it does have an impact on clicks and rankings and so on. Um, but it's an incredibly valuable thing to do. And there's a variety of tools out there for it. There was an agency called Distilled, which um, got folded into search labs or brain labs. I can't remember, some sort of labs. Um, and they had a tool called ODN, which is now called SearchPilot. They, they were kind of the innovators in the SEO software space with this. But SEMrush also has a tool for it. Um, a lot of the enterprise SEO tools now have tooling for it as well. Um, but it's definitely something that's worth doing because best practices, especially for large websites, don't really hold up. I actually just gave a presentation about this at um, the Search Love event, and also I, I gave it at, at Yoast event, uh, where I just talked about all the best practices that you know for e-commerce SEO just aren't real anymore. Hmm. And the only way that you know this is by testing, because you know we all believe like, hey, duplicate content is bad. You need to not do that but for so many large e-commerce sites like 80 percent of their traffic is driven by duplicate content mm -hmm. so you only truly understand that by doing sort of experiments like this uh to see how well things work yeah super cool best best practices are always tricky to kind of coin in in seo i think the mm -hmm. the one constant in seo land is is change right and uh like one thing that's uh on a lot of our listeners minds is uh the end of universal analytics seems to be mm. kind of hitting everyone a bit differently right what's what's your take on the shift to google analytics for how are kind of people preparing for this how is ipolrank preparing for this are people even prepared for this like do you do you think it's as big of a deal as, as people are making it out to be so it's a huge deal because you're going to lose access to your historic data, right? Like, and, and what the play is from GA's perspective is like, hey, just put GA4 in your site right now. So you have like 14 months of data by the time that they, they uh, roll it out. But the problem is you can't do a real year over year comparison between this year and next year because this year is a pandemic, as was last year. And, you know, like the year before it. So how do you leverage data from now as an indicator of, you know, a good year over year comparison? And so the problem is that GA4 has a very different data model from the data model that, that Universal Analytics has. So there's no like, let's pull it all out, throw it in the BigQuery and stitch it together because it's just completely different data. And so, um, I saw a talk last week from Krista Seiden. She used to be a product manager on GA4 and GA3 uh, before that. And what she was saying is that for her clients is that she just is going to pull out all the historic data for very specific KPIs. And then that's that, like, you know, create a GDS dashboard or Clipfolio dashboard or something um, to house that data historically. And then whatever top level KPIs come out on the GA4 side, they're gonna compare against those. But again, we're talking about apples and oranges in this case. It's very difficult to imagine what it's gonna be like because GA4 is like a pretty undercooked product. You know, it's like, you can't even get a standard report on, um, you know, what happened in organic search for a specific landing page, not easily at least. And so I think what we're gonna see is a lot of products 
you know, competing products. I don't know if you've seen the ads for like Oribe for the last yeah. couple of years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be tools like that, that like, you know, grab some market share because they're going to be like, hey, we've created a, a tool that pulls out data from GA from you at Universal Analytics and we can populate it directly in our tool. And it's just like what GA was before. You're gonna see a lot of that definitely coming into the marketplace because you know, GA4 is just a dramatic, such a dramatic shift from what GA was. And it's like, like why, why continue to learn a brand new product that mm -hmm. is so different and not the way that you want if you could go to something more similar to what you expect? Do you, you know, with, I'm also thinking like what's happened with Facebook and the EU and, and like, I know Google's had some, some stink going in the EU as well. Like privacy regulations, security regulations are becoming a huge deal. Like a ribby, as you mentioned, I think I said it right, is, is a competitor. Like, do you see, do you see SEOs maybe in particular, but maybe digital marketers in general looking towards other solutions uh, than GA, like maybe even writing custom code to, to do your tracking or log file analysis, like that type of thing? Yeah. And a lot of our clients don't use GA. Like they'll have it as a secondary thing. They'll have their own internal analytics. So that's super common, especially for large enterprise sites, especially in e-commerce and things like that. Cause a lot of them just didn't trust GA. Mm -hmm. um, and so I expect that there's going to be more people adopting more things. Uh, and I think to your point, you know, that's probably why Google is, is, killing GA in the way that they are, because there's probably just so much historical stuff in there that is uh, such a liability for them, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if the EU was like, all right, we want to dig through your GA data, you know, people, you can put anything in there with like custom dimensions and custom yeah. variables and so on. And the terms of service say like, hey, don't put anything that's personally identifiable, but again, who's to stop you, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. I think that's that's one of the main reasons this is happening. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, Core Web Vitals has been something on at least my mind for for some time. I know, but like you start looking at the performance of the sites and the Google products are weighing down down these sites. So oh. I'm thinking, is there a better way? Like Tag Manager, you're the biggest offender I've seen. <laughs> and it's like a minute, like you know, it's like, it must be nice to me. Um, one question I have around just like future proofing. That's one of the themes of our of our show here is. Uh, in terms of future proofing, we're we're pretty used to algorithm changes and minor and major and rugs being pulled from underneath of us. But like, how do you see yourself? Like, if you're build a website today, how would you how would you approach that so that ten years from now you're still you're still in good territory? Page performance is good. Your your content's good. Like, what is the approach that you would recommend for for future proofing? Yeah, I think there's a lot of fear around algorithm updates, but we haven't seen anything so substantial since like Penguin. Right. Like mm -hmm. anything that has dramatically changed how we operate in this industry. Sure. There have been core updates and there's been EAT and everyone's been like, hey, how do we account for these things? But fundamentally, SEO has not changed since Penguin. Mm -hmm. And so to that end, I mean, I think, you know, where we're heading when you look at things like um, mom and some of these other things that Google is trying to do where they're trying to effectively be the Star Trek computer. It's really about structured data. It's really about very specific content. And what I mean by that is, you know, Google has had the ability to model users for a very long time. And they've used that to inform 
products like Google Assistant and Google Home and things like that. And they really understand your context. So, you know, if you're to ask Google Home, you're like, hey, uh, how far is the Empire State Building? You and I will get different answers, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, I can see it from my window. Whereas for you, it's, it's hundreds of miles away. Um, and so it'll be able to answer that question based on understanding where you are from a location perspective, but it also understands your search journey as you go, because you can then ask it a subsequent question, leveraging a pronoun rather than explicitly saying, you know, the Empire State Building again. And so I say all that to say that Google needs to be able to extract, you know, the entities from your content so it can better understand what these things are, right? Because it's building context to answer questions. And so the interesting thing about mum is that if you ask it a complex question, it's going to look at, you know, maybe four or five different pages because it's constructing these like sub queries to break that question down. And then it's extracting facts from those different pages. And then it's writing a new answer. It's not like how, you know, when Google Home first came out, it was just reading the featured snippet. It is writing a unique answer based on this information. So it really comes down to having, you know, structured data that's easy to extract from to then inform what Google want, wants to uh, give it. But the bigger opportunity for websites moving forward is that there's going to be obscure questions. There's going to be, you know, because we know there's new queries every day, like, plenty of them every day and so being the answer to those super specific questions for a very specific audience is going to be where the opportunity lies in the future because those big questions google can go to webmd google can go to wikipedia and Mm -hmm. you know infer things from there and that's it but the hyper specific stuff that's where the opportunity lies for websites moving forward so in answer to your question i would just make very specific content yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the the Clifolio.com website, we for so long on like KPI related terms, very high level, and now it's like this, uh, you know, this content rush, gold rush, and I see all the big players. They've got huge shops, you know, more more marketers on their team than than we have at the organization, all going after this content. And you're you got a question like, okay, what's the long tail of all of this? And I and what's the opportunity? the little guy so that's a great answer to i think our listeners will find that helpful i love that you talk about structured data there mike i was reading your 2016 post on uh the moz blog on the technical seo renaissance and it's Mm. amazing that like in in 22 like you're you're still talking about some of the stuff that you spoke about uh in that piece in 2016 um like reading it last night like it still holds up incredibly well like some of the stuff verges on prophetic type stuff like especially core web vitals and like the structured data you just mentioned modern seo like feels remarkably similar to maybe like developing a SaaS application today right like mm-hmm. web teams need to focus on ux the performance side of course the content as well if you were to write that piece today what would you change from that and like maybe what would your call to action be first of all thank you um uh what would i change i think that i would talk a bit more excuse me about language modeling because it wasn't a thing at that point. It, it was really like the next year when Google introduced uh, transformer technology, which ultimately informed BERT, which also informed 
uh, GPT-3 and, and things like T5, all these other things that, that, that have rolled out in the wake of it that have sent shockwaves across information retrieval and natural language processing and um, informed a lot of the things that Google is able to do today. So I would have, I would probably spend a lot more time talking about that and how that can be leveraged for SEO um, and where I, I believe things are going as a result of that. And that really bleeds into the content side of it, not just like, you know, purely technical things. But again, we're talking about machine learning here. So, you know, it's also a very technical thing. And what I believe will be the case in the next, you know, probably three to five years is we'll get to the, the point where you can generate perfectly optimized content. And so if it's, it's kind of like an arms race, like, you know, once everybody has an atomic bomb, what do you do? Right. Like, like, like how do you, how do you actually, you know, differentiate between who has the power and what have you. And so in, in that case, I think that it's going to be far more about nuance in content because if everybody can say, you know, a 3d TV is X, Y, and Z, and it has these features and they can generate a thousand words about it who is a better website than the other? And then it, it kind of goes back to the, the linking side as well. But I think at that point, it's about like, who can tell me facts about a 3D TV that no one else can? And then that becomes the differentiator that Google has to account for. And then you have to be more surgical with your content. So yeah, I'd probably talk more about those two things, but everything else I think kind of holds up. I talked a lot about JavaScript SEO at that point in that one. Um, I think that there is, and I mean, all of that is, has uh, matured a lot and Google has been a far more forthcoming with their capabilities around it. So I think that, you know, I would be able to speak in more depth about that, but beyond that, I think the the article would probably remain the same. Yeah. It holds, holds up incredibly well. Um, I know you're working on a book, Science of SEO. Uh, it's on my pre-order list uh, for sure. But what inspired you to write this book and, and what do you hope SEOs will get out of this? Yeah, I, I feel like most SEO books are business books. There's no like computer science book for SEO, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very much a function of information retrieval, natural language processing, machine learning. And you know, there's also like a, a subset of SEOs like yourself who learn the code and they want to know more, but there's not really like one good source to cross the chasm from being a business SEO to a, a highly technical SEO. And I think that's, you know, where I sit. Like I, I do both of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I also don't know how many more years I'm going to do SEO. So I kind of want to <laughs> have this be like the artifact or leave behind for everything that I've learned um, to, you know, encourage people that want to continue to level up in their careers. Like, here's everything I know, run with it, take it to the next level. Cool. Cool. It, it sounds like I know just uh, looking through your, your social, that music career is also coming up more and more. Um, one question and to kind of wrap up our podcast, one question we ask all of our guests, and I'm really interested in your take on this is uh, about happiness and balance and success. So 
when you look on your Twitter bio, it's dedicated to your daughters and it's, uh, it, it's clear you're a firm believer in family over everything. You, you're running a, a super successful award-winning digital marketing SEO agency, work with some of the top brands. You're writing a book. Uh, you speak regularly at conferences. You have a, a beer that, uh, that is starting to take off. Like, holy smokes, you're on the go. How do you find balance in your life and, and what is happiness and success like for Mike King? Uh, <laughs> heavy question. So balance that I don't know the answer to. I am hardly in balance on, on the work side. Um, I'm always working. And when I'm not working, I feel bad that I'm not working. And, um, so I haven't achieved that yet, but as far as happiness, I mean, I, I think it's like you said, you know, just the ability to have a happy family, uh, see them thriving, uh, you know, for us to be able to achieve our dreams and then ultimately give back and then also watch our children become, you know, who they become or who they will become and so on. Like that is happiness there. Obviously money is cool too. Obviously accolades also cool, but you know, the family is all that matters. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great answer. Cool, Mike. Um, yeah, anything else you want to plug? Like, we'll we'll put links to like your upcoming book, uh, Apple Rank site. But uh, yeah, we've got like a, a young audience. I know a lot of them are, are kind of interested in, in SEO. Any anything else you, you'd like to plug? Yeah, me. <laughs> um, you know, check me out on Spotify. I'm Mike King. It's M I C K I N G. Um, also got a website, bestrapperever.com. Um, yeah, other than that, it's all iPhoneRank.com for all the marketing stuff, all the SEO. Uh, we have a couple courses in the works. We've got more guides that, that are going to be rolling out soon as well. So lots of educational content there. But if you want entertainment content, bestrapperever.com. Sweet. Well, uh, we'll check that out. Maybe we can uh, borrow a track or two from you and uh, switch up our, our intro for, for this episode. <laughs> That sounds cool for me. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks a lot for your time, Mike. This is great. Thanks for having me. Reestablishing my beliefs because I'm best known for what I didn't write like Socrates. I'm a bee. Who I'm a bee. Nothing's not for me. I fly to the tropic seas for shopping sprees. Season change. I'm in a different place like Aqua Team. Often information retrieval monopoly. Agent prodigy exchanging props for property. Tailor made anomaly trading drama for comedy. Am I topping me? It's the top for me. My destiny's in my own hands like palmistry. Street.